the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3 for your drive home. We are delighted to have Sam Stone live with me in the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, which is brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Sam, your trusted source for intelligent thinking, controversial thinking sometimes, but uh, always smart, always um, always good to have you here, Sam. He is a, a political consultant in town. You can find him on Twix at Sam the Paul. Good to see you, man. You too, Seth. And, and yeah, I, I tend to specialize in get you into hot water opinions. Well, anything that makes people think as always, I've always thought was a good thing. We're not here to make people feel good necessarily, not on radio and maybe in our personal lives, but getting people to think. You know, it's interesting you say that because that immediately took me to all this stuff that's going on around the universities. Mm-hmm. Good. The purpose of a university, at least as I understood the concept and came up, uh, was to get people to think, to get them to think through and engage in uncomfortable conversations, to expand and broaden their knowledge, to seek alternative viewpoints. And man, it's like none of those things anymore. And it's sad that folks have to tune into something like this show and not – it's not sad because it's a wonderful show. But it's sad that this is, <laughs> it's sad that this is the only place like these kind of programs where you actually hear – that range of viewpoints that are being completely removed from the public sphere on the left. I grew up with a um, dear friend, uh, and he's now at Brookings. He's a liberal columnist. You may have read or be familiar with some of his work, Jonathan Rausch. He is oh, a sure. free speech advocate. Yeah. And he proposed this be put in every freshman uh, student handbook at college universities. Warning. Although this university values and encourages civil expression and a respectful personal behavior, you may at any moment and without further notice encounter ideas, expressions, and images that are mistaken, upsetting, dangerous, prejudiced, insulting, or deeply offensive. We call this education. Yes. It, oh, boy, that is spot on. That hits And every- it won't make it into a single right. hand. No. Maybe no. Hillsdale. I actually was thinking about, you know, in terms of their codes of conduct and speech codes for universities, they're much too restrictive on speech and much too permissive on conduct. Well done. Um, So what we what we really need is a universal code that says, listen, as long as it's like, you know what I, I really love are those Oxford debates. Yeah, sure. Because they can be really inflammatory. Yeah. But they're also polite, and each Absolutely. side gets their you know gets their say and all that kind of with thing. With a level of decorum, with a and level of decorum, yes. Chairman of the yeah. all of that, yeah. And that should be the standard for every university: is to say, listen, students, anyone can say anything they want, anyone can espouse any views they want, and the only restriction is that you must engage with them politely, civilly, and in a reasonable tone. The problem, I think is that there is a very large cohort on the university cohort on the university that thinks the very utterance of certain ideas and opinions is so beyond the pale of decorum that it shouldn't 
I mean, this is the notion that words can be violence or silence can be violence. This is that notion that, well, if you stand for that, you are ipso facto automatically indecorous and violating the code of conduct. And they is, have turned words into conduct. And it is that notion that right. needs to be thrown 100 percent out. Correct. Correct. Because conduct is not words. I mean, this and words are not con- and right. words are not conduct. Right. We grew up. Speech and, is not. Violence. And I say this still all the time. Sticks and stones. Sticks and stones. And here's the thing. That was exactly the right attitude philosophically to be raising kids on. And this idea of safe spaces, of uh, words being violence, of all of this stuff is the exact wrong thing. Because what you are creating are infantilized uh, people who will never grow intellectually. And also, you know, look, I think this is a very concerted move. We've seen – the book has been written on this quite literally, numerous of them, that this is the way when you criminalize speech, when you criminalize thought, when you criminalize not behaviors but ideas, this is the path to totalitarian society. And it's always the same path. So you, know, you know, people do not realize this, but whether you're talking about the National Socialists in Germany, the fascists in Italy, the communists in Russia, every one of them came to power on the same basic premises and principles. And the fundamental center of those premises was that there are certain viewpoints which cannot be tolerated they're in counter society. That are counter if you're Marxist, right. they're counter-revolutionary. Right. If they're fascist, they're anti-right. Right. So all of this, you can – the terms change from each of those societies, the terminology, but the outcomes are identical. The entrance point is identical and we are slipping fast down that exact same road. So you and I – who are roughly roughly the same age? I, I think I have a year or two on you. I don't mean. Yeah, to I, I mean I'm 48. It's okay, not. I have you a know. few years on yeah. you, but um, I didn't mean it. In a, in no, I, it's, we grew up in the same era. Is what I'm. You trying know what's the best? Day, you know what the best day of my life? Every <laughs> at, like whenever it happens now. So I I get I play the lottery every now and then. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Get a little Powerball. If it goes over like 600 million, I'll get yeah. a Powerball ticket. Okay. If it, whatever. Um, I got carded for a lottery ticket okay. last year, and that was like the best day ever. I was trying to make myself feel and look as young as you do, but that's what I meant when I said I think we're the same age. Yeah, what so I, I think we are the same age, I exactly. Is, we're, we grew up in an era, though, where we were raised with Kurt Vonnegut, George Orwell, uh, Ray Bradbury, uh, with all these warnings. Yes. We, we, we grew up learning what happens when you criminalize thought. And one of my sayings on this show is MOFA, hashtag MOFA, make Orwell fiction again, because that's exactly right. And, you know, the Soviet Union and in Maoist uh, doctrine as well, they, they, they went one better. It wasn't just counter-revolutionary. It could be a sign of mental instability. It was called this, right. the abuse of psychiatry, as right. we would later learn. Which we're seeing we grew really – up with Solzhenitsyn, yes. right? We're, we're, and That's, we're seeing they, they really clear parallels. And they don't read that anymore. No. So well, he, the, the reason they don't read it is because if they did, they might start questioning the systems that are being placed on top of them. A, that, and B, it would be, it would be running too close to where they you – know, they would not understand the satire of it. It might – 
be not a um, they would they, 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 they would see it as a handbook and a prescription. Yeah, they're, they're not so much as a warning and a danger. I, I'm sitting here shaking my head because yes, I mean that's the problem is that there is a. Really, it's about a third of our society now that looks on 1984 as a manual. It's a how-to manual and not a dire plea and warning. Now, here's another theme of mine, which is – so we're talking about young adults here. And I have long said, and it's not novel, that there would be no young adult problems. There would be no youth or children problems if there weren't adult problems. Right. Everything flows from what adults do. So it seems to me when we were making fun of and laughing – of uh, of at the snowflakery in 2016 on the campuses, the safe spaces. Donald Trump got elected. Oh my God, what will be M- milk and cookies and soft music and yeah. balloons, cuddling pillows, uh, pets. I knew people in San Francisco who were gay who said he's coming after us. Little did they know he would have the first gay member of the cabinet. Right. Now, that's... Right. This kind of... Where were the adults to say to these college students? Where are the adults? Where were the professors and the administrators say, you know what? It's an election. Sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. And when you lose, we, as part of our Declaration of Independence, talk about the consent of the governed, we consent to be governed in a process whereby sometimes we get a say and sometimes you get a say. Because Where the, were those adults? Well, they, where they were was they were getting replaced. The competent adults in the room were being replaced by the incompetent, ideologically driven Claudine gaze of the world. There's That's only one view here. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, look at Harvard Corporation. Mm-hmm. It, it's amazing. We've, we've had all this discussion and no one's pointing out Harvard Corporation. Corporation yes. Um, but but leaving that aside, look at the board members. Correct. They are all hardcore leftists. Correct. They are. But also the other thing that happened at that time, and I was thinking about this the other day. You want to you take a break and pick up? On yeah, it? let's do let, This is actually a, a longer point. Good. So let's Good. do that. The clock is on our side. Time yes. favors Sam Stone. Sam Stone and I will be right back. Palette cleanser. Welcome back to the Seth Lisa <laughs> Show. Sam Stone is my guest. Claudine Gay, Harvard Corporation, the elites, one-sided yeah. views. So, so something else right around 20, really 2014, I think, was where it really kicked off. Um is there was sort of a backdoor deal that appears to have been made informally, if you will, between the largest corporations, the Internet companies specifically, and the left during the last couple of years of Obama's term when there was a lot of signals from the Obama um, Justice Department, from the Obama FTC, FCC, all these things – that we're saying we're going to start looking into these and going after them on an antitrust basis in a big way, right? And what subsequently happened was you started seeing all those CEOs being paraded into Congress and going to the White House and doing all this. Now look at what has happened with the way those corporations operate in terms of their hiring, in terms of their internal practices, in terms of their external practices, censorship, and all these other things, which really exploded post-2014. And I think... What this is is really a very concerted effort. These, these companies, the problem with big business, the, the downfall of big business, big business 
has a habit of leading into cronyism instead of capitalism. And what that means is that they insinuate themselves in the government and use the government to protect their position at the top of the corporate food chain through tailored regulations that benefit them and limit competition. And that's what we've seen in spades. And you can look at the – there's a direct path between the record profits these companies are generating right now and that government getting into bed with government, which has prevented competition. And so now you take this academic world that's feeding people into that universe, that's feeding people into the government universe, and it's all being tied up in a bow just like they did or tried to do in Germany during the Nazi period, just like Stalin tried to do, just like uh, all the various uh, authoritarian regimes have tried to do, only they're succeeding with soft power where hard power had its limitations. This is such a many hydra-headed problem that you're putting your finger on, and that's one of the snakes, I think. There are several others here. One of them is where the shift to political dialogue, where the town square um, became most prevalent and prominent, and it was the internet. It right. was Twix and Facebook, and how easy it was for those 20 and 30-something snowflakes to get involved in that kind of unidirectional viewpoint, censorship, yes. Uh, banning, uh, shadow banning, um, what's the word, algorithmic yep. uh, leveling. That's an element of it. Um, there's another element. See, I think yeah. it's all deliberate. I think of it's all very it. deliberately being tied together. Well, I think that's right. And and I guess what I'm trying to say is I think it's, it's not going to be easy to solve because there's yet another snake here, which is I think I was telling you last week about this guy who said um, – the Panera Bread guy or Aubameyang Bread guy that says a lot of these corporations view their customers as not the people in the stores, but equally so their employees. Yes. And they're trying, so there's that if you've ever walked the 20 and 30-somethings in the big box companies, which would explain your Dylan Mulvaney. Yeah, no, I mean this, ex this explains so much that goes on today, right? Um, so we just had the incident that went viral what, yesterday with the uh, airport uh, airline employee mm -hmm. who was – you know, look, the, one of Dylan Mulvaney's deranged, mentally deficient friends decided to try to create an issue at the airport. I loved the guy behind the counter. Um, God, I loved him. Oh, I loved him. But I fear for his future of with Delta. You of course um, you, you know, because he didn't take any gruff. He was just there trying to do Nor was he job. insulting. No, no. He was as matter of fact. He spoke to her like an adult or him or whatever, like an adult. It. I, I, like hate to, I hate to be rude about this, well, but I, at this point, I'm like, you know, I just don't want to. Get, one of, and whatever. one of my one of my friends actually said this really well: is historically, um, transgenderism. Historically, there is, you know, you can look at the literature. Body dysmorphia is a real thing. It's generally affected men, and it generally affects men who are starting to move into middle age. That's where it's mostly manifested in the past. Um, and when they when Think the, Bruce Jenner. Yeah, ex except sort of not. This is where it's interesting. Okay. So her point, and she is on the left, um, was that those folks, and she had worked with them and in her, her – she was in the medical field, so she works with them. She said, listen, they dressed and acted like 40-year-old women. They were 40 mm -hmm. as men. Okay. And then if they transitioned themselves, they conducted themselves as 
40-year-old women. Not as a caricature. Not as a caricature of a 23-year-old <clears throat> sex pot woman. Right. And like, that is one of the big things. no woman acts like Dylan Mulvaney. No. Right. It's no. a caricature. And, and even, even in, in Jenner's case, mm-hmm. there's a play-acting element a of a bit. young woman. A little bit. Right? Yeah. I think he's actually, she, whatever, has moved away from that yep. some yep. and kind of adopted a more age-appropriate, yep. which... To me, that's actually one of the things. When you're seeing someone who's a middle-aged person who's adopting the persona of a 20-something sex pot, then, look, you're dealing with a sexual fetish. You're you're dealing with a series of problems. Yeah, you're dealing with a lot of problems, but you're not dealing with what they're claiming, right? right? You're dealing with mental issues that have very little relationship to whether they view themselves as a man or a woman. And where's Chaz Bono in all this? She was really... Patient zero in our modern era and has nothing to – there's nowhere no, nowhere to be found on any of this. My guess is she she is – Does not he like – is just not, does not, not interested like what's in going this. on right. with this. Yeah, right. no. I mean so it cheapens it – you know, and, and I did talk with a longtime transgender person and they said, look, this kind of cheapens our experience mm-hmm. because it becomes – it's a fad. You're making a mimicry, a burlesque right. of what we are about. And, and right. I – you know, I have str- – this person said they've struggled their whole life with this <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. Okay. I I, I get it, you know. Um, but, but on the other side, it's all play acting and it's all self-reinforcing. This yes. is where the corporations, the universities, the government is all coming together to enforce – a reality that does not exist. With one more snake I want to mention on this head, Please. on this many hydra. Corporations, it goes to your point about big. Corporations that are so big that they can have loss leaders, for example, for example, based on ideology, CNN. Right. The Washington Post. They're not making money. They don't care and they can get away with it because they are pushing something – that they think we need, but we don't uh, so, want, and so, they can go on forever with this. One of the interesting things there, I the Washington Post is back to more or less breaking even. They had gotten profitable a little bit, and then they they pulled back. Well, they had to fire it. Yeah, the New York Times is profitable now. Their digital thing has has made it. The Wall Street Journal, CNN rakes in huge amounts of cash. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it's really just about population size. So their audience today is is not any bigger than it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But that's still a huge market. The name cachet for people the name in cachet, advertising. Yeah, rates, yeah, I mean it's – so as we're you know on, on Breaking Battlegrounds, which you can hear on Saturday at 3 o'clock on this channel, we often have a former Fox News exec who's oh, an okay. expert on news industry business. And his point was – Listen, you can criticize Fox or CNN or these, but they're all making billions okay. of dollars a year, okay. so they don't care. <laughs> they may not have eyeballs, <laughs> but they have enough to still they, make billions, and that's all to they tell care a, about. A yeah. sponsor that you want to have our, your yeah. ad on our on our on our uh, website or on our on our channel. Sam Stone, host of Breaking Battlegrounds, every Saturday at three. He and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Sam Stone is my guest. Follow him on Twix at Sam the Paul P O L. Listen to him every Saturday at uh, three p.m. on this channel at Breaking Battlegrounds. Listen to him here every uh, Thursday uh, this time. And um, I'm debating whether to transition what we were talking about into the Colorado case that I wanted to hear you out about or whether to raise a fun cultural piece. But let's – you know what? Let's save the fun cultural piece to the next segment. Let's stay on this well, it, thread. It does transition it do, pretty it well totally to the Colorado does. case. Totally does. Take it. 
This ecosystem of leftism that's being created, it puts firewalls around itself to prevent, as we've seen very directly with the universities, puts hardcore firewalls around itself to, to prevent any ideas that are competing with their direction to be brought into the circle. And the Colorado case of the Colorado court throwing Donald Trump off the ballot, now it's going to the Supreme Court. You know, but I saw today the Colorado Secretary of State is cheering it on. Oh, you know, he should never be on the ballot. This is an insurrection, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry. If your view of January 6th is that it was an insurrection, your view has missed every bit of information that's come out in the last year and change about those events, right? And that's because you exist inside that bubble and nothing penetrates that bubble. And this is an incredibly dangerous – these folks do not understand the fire that they are playing with. It is incredibly unless – Unless they do. Unless they do. And they're trying to provoke a reaction. And the, well, and see, that's the scarier idea. There's sort of two possibilities here. One is that they completely do not understand what they're dealing with. And what they're dealing with is the kind of thing that could ignite an actual hot – Civil War. And th- what's worse, what you just brought up, is if they do understand that. Uh, some do. I think trying, some do. I believe some do. I do, and I do I believe too. So this idea— I mean, I don't know about the justices, but I mean, I think well, some people are cheering this on for that purpose. I think so, too. And I think if you look at um, the reaction specifically to Donald Trump right. and what was said— and, and here's the problem. They claim this is just about Trump. Right. But this is about all Republicans. They said the same things about Romney and McCain and all these others. They just couldn't make it stick as well. Um, I hate to disappoint hardcore Trump people and an element of my conservative base here by saying Trump's politics – just hear me out. Trump's politics are fairly standard conservative politics. Actually, there's nothing in any of his platform in anything Goldwater, he did. So, yeah, of course. Yeah, no. It's, it's very much mainline conservatism. Yes. With one exception, I will add. There's a few it's, it's, Well, I'm not even talking about policy and, or ideology. It's that he went through the list of, a, of things he said he wanted to do in his campaign and he started doing them. <laughs> after, <laughs> after Republicans spent 30 yeah. years like putting out that exact same right. list. They wanted to be the Washington and then generals. Not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, so I mean, I guess that's the fundamental difference. And if you're on the left, it's like, holy crud, he's actually doing it. Um, there's that. And, but one of the transitions, too, though, I mean, from what we were saying is that some of them do sincerely believe that he is, they have been conditioned to believe that he is, or conservatism is, a, to use the Biden construction, existential threat to the Constitution, and thus will go through any means necessary. So, for example, you're right about the insurrection. He has never been indicted for insurrection, which is a federal crime defined in Title 18 of the U.S. Code. He's never been indicted, never been charged, never been found guilty of. So what did the court in Colorado do. The court in Colorado, the lower court, found him guilty of insurrection under a clear and convincing standard of evidence, which is a civil standard of evidence, because a criminal standard of evidence, as we all know, say it with me, is beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. So they accuse him and find him guilty of a criminal violation in a civil court, which is incongruent to all hell. So that they can fit him into an odd definition of being ineligible uh, under the 14th Amendment, a theory no one even contemplated until a year ago. Right. 
And it is, you're right, playing with fire. It, it is it is the most dangerous thing that's happened in the last four or five years. And, that, and that's a pretty remarkable thing to say given what we went through with COVID and the restrictions that were imposed. But this is actually more of an existential threat to the future of the United States as a 50-state nation it's than anything that's come judiciary. before. Yeah. And, and look at the break on that court where four Ivy League justices so voted to throw him off the ballot. So Three Denver law graduates said no. So interesting. I think that says an awful lot about what's going on. It's not just Claudine Gay. It's every one of the top university presidents. So I, interesting. If, if, if you made me dictator for a day, the first thing I'd do is fire every university administrator in the country. <laughs> not at Hillsdale. No, no. GCU is okay too. GCU is okay. Grove City. Yeah. Okay. The new like University of Austin. That, we'll that yes, that yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. We have a few right. <laughs> we'll be right back. Sam Stone is my guest here in the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Sam Stone, I posed an interesting, I thought, interesting cultural question. We had some fun with it yesterday. Uh, I don't know how often you may listen to the Adam Carolla podcast, but he is um, bewitched. <laughs> Double entendre here. He is bewitched by the show Love Boat, and he has watched every Love Boat. Be- and, and the reason is he thinks it, it, it's the best show to define the 70s. So I was saying, you know, think about shows that define a certain era. Uh, what would best define the 80s? I thought maybe Dallas and Magnum P.I. Uh, might be options. Um 50s and 60s are a little tougher. I thought 60s maybe, maybe, maybe was I Dream of Genie because it was the space program. I, I think that probably would be the closest one um, or Gilligan's Island maybe. No, but no, they, no. Like, Gilligan's Island. People didn't live on an island. See, this no, but, it but, had to but, define a culture. But what they did was they put every all part the, of the every culture. parts of the culture on that discussed island. in yeah. this teeny yeah. little <laughs> like this teeny little universe, which actually to me made it more relevant because you can uh-huh. strip all the other issues yeah. out of it. Okay. Right? Okay. And and so I don't know. So you had a professor and yeah, a millionaire I mean, and a- <laughs> the late eighties and early nineties are Seinfeld. That's okay. not even a question. I think that's right. I think you could throw in Frasier. Yeah, but Seinfeld is definitive. Seinfeld's definitive. Right. Um, and and now it's I I don't know like fifties maybe Father knows best. I, you're you're past my knowledge really on that. I, I remember 60s TV because it was on the air in the 70s and early 80s when yeah, I grew up. So maybe the Dick Van Dyke show a little bit. Uh, yeah. And then I had a friend. I don't, maybe it was just Johnny Carson in that. Well, I mean, that was important too. But And then I – I don't know. We had people saying things like the Golden Girls. And then I had a mutual friend of ours text in and say um, Little House on the Prairie. And I got really mad about this. Hmm. I got really furious. That's a show about the 1890s. Right. Right. Yes. Okay. If we need yeah, it. Yeah. I, 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 you had me thinking there. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. What? Um, no. I don't. I don't. Cosby I don't show and Family all. Ties came up. Cosby oh, and Family Ties. Came Cosby up. for sure. I think um, both of those very relevant there. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the problem with our modern era is it's like. What are we going to talk about? It's like twenty four just happened a little too early. I know, and it's one and and I don't even know what's really on TV these days. Most of it, I most of what I watch. I is guess on the streaming. you know what probably the anthem of this era is like Tiger King. I hope not. It appears to be. It's scary to me that that would be, uh, it, but it might be. It might be. Um, 
What's interesting about The Love Boat, do you ever watch it? Have you ever seen it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen reruns. Just... Two things that Adam points out are interesting about it. One is that the Princess Cruise Line had to approve every script. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's Princess okay, Boat. right, they had yeah. To kind of right? interesting. And the second is, it is chock full of sexual harassment. <laughs> the passengers get on this boat. To be sexually harassed by the physician, the ship's doctor, Adam Bricker, and the and the bartender and the gopher and gopher, and and it's just rampant. It's rampant. Well, and, it, and the Princess Cruise Line is just check, check, check. Yeah, but, but but and maybe that was the seventies. Well, that was the sixties and seventies. I mean, look what we would call harassment. Most of harassment today yeah. was flirting yes, in that era. I suppose so. And it wasn't really. I mean, so one of the things I found interesting, and and I think you know, I go back because my career working kind of spans between the PC era and the uh-huh. the prior non PC era. Mm-hmm. Pre Clarence Thomas, post Clarence Thomas. Yeah, I actually don't know anybody who I I worked with in that period, including the women, who didn't think that was a more entertaining, enjoyable experience in the office in that era. Um, And I think what you had was, especially with the universities, you had people who were kind of locked out of that world, who didn't like it from a distance. And so they created a whole bunch of rules to limit this. And the fact of the matter is that you, you look, you, you know, there's there's clear lines, but at the same time, we've reached an era where men and women are afraid to interact honestly in the workplace. That is huge, and there are people and studies who will point out that a lot of relationships leading to marriage began in the workplace. Almost all of them, and, and historically, you and you can't do it, then. and you can't do. Yeah, you Lest can't. You no, you really right. you can't break that boundary. So. It's really interesting. Actually, you bring that up. I was looking at a chart just the other day that showed almost all of them, you know, from 20 years ago back were workplace and or there was like, you know, church. Uh, random, church, workplace, yeah. sometimes high school or college. Right. right some right, of that stuff. Right. right. And those are just cratered and it's almost nobody. And like 90 something percent now of relationships begin online. Mm-hmm. And, and I think so that is really – there's a lot of problems right now with this um, this idea that you have all these men out there who can't find women, uh-huh. and there's a lot of talk about you know women. Is it are, more that or more the other way? I don't know. I think anymore. it's both, okay. but I think there's a thing about women rejecting average men mm-hmm. that's real these days. Because um, the average man is not six foot. The average man does not make a hundred thousand dollars a year. The average man is about five foot eight and makes about forty eight, forty nine thousand dollars a year, depending okay. on what state you're in. Might be sixty, but again, the standards that are set online and that are enforced and socially constructed by their friend circles online, those were broken down when you get to know somebody in person. So if you know somebody from your office and you've been friends with them at your office and you've been bantering back and forth for a year. Now some of those characteristics don't matter as much because you already have a relationship with that person. They like you. You like them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think this is actually a much more restrictive universe Mm -hmm. and not in a good way at all. Well, I was reading an interesting essay today. You may not have gotten to it. I hope you read it. It's uh, on Constantine Kissin's Substack, written by Freya India, who's a British uh, writer, (coughs) pointing out, among other things, this very interesting statistic. It's been talked about before. But it's worth pointing out 
45% of women will be childless and unmarried within the next decade in America. Yeah. Wow. Well, in marriage is at an all-time low. Marriage is at an all-time low. Long-term partnerships are at an all-time low. And a lot of the reason is that the standards – and you can throw in things like pornography. Sure. Um, you can throw in all these you know, unreasonable standards that apply to women also. And you know, sure. I mean go on and on and on. We're finding reasons uh-huh. to not build relationships with other people right. rather than finding reasons so to true. build relationships so with other people. So true. God, that's so true. And we've done a number on it too, haven't we? Um, John Rausch, who I quoted earlier, yeah. he was one of the first to write. I think he and Andrew Sullivan wrote the first books promoting gay marriage, both of them being out gay. And um, I, I remember Sullivan's very well. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Rausch, Rausch was the, the follow-up, I think. And I remember in one of the debates he said um, uh, on gay marriage, one of the debates he had, someone said – one of their arguments was gay marriage diminishes the currency of marriage. And he said, and you tell me what Britney Spears's two-month marriage did to the right. institution of marriage. Right. Yes. It's a powerful argument. It's a very powerful argument. We have done a number on marriage. We have done – Let me an, take a break. We've done an enormous number on so marriage. Much. Sam Stone, we, th- nothing we planned. <laughs> no, we, <laughs> we had a long conversation and then we just kind of ignored said, it. What eh, the hell to, with that? Yeah. <laughs> Treat it like a marriage. Disposable. Right. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome back, and uh, thank you for being with us uh, this afternoon, and thank you to Sam Stone for coming in, as you do most Thursdays. Uh, so to follow Sam Stone everywhere you possibly can, on Twitter X, we call it Twix, Sam the Paul, P-O-L, uh, Breaking Battlegrounds every Saturday afternoon at 3 p.m., and yeah, I you mean, can just like call them and yell at them, too. Facebook, if you really want to, but mostly what you get there are funny memes, cat photos, and old Old stories. So it's, it's, you know, I've taken Facebook away from the political and just made it a family kind of thing. I wish more would. Um, I wish more would. And separated it because yeah. I, I find that good for my sanity. Sure. Um, but also the other reason, folks, honestly, if you're not on Twitter and you're on other social media, get on Twitter, support Elon Musk because he's fighting the fight for free speech and none of the others are. And so I've really tried to focus my social media there for that reason. It's an interesting point you're making, too, because it might be nice for classical liberals or open-minded people as well as conservatives to suffuse – saturate Twitter, twice yes. X, whatever yes, we is. want to call it. That would be a nice thing to happen to a platform. Yeah, and it's – look, it's great. I pay the monthly fee for Twitter again I, and I do that. I never bothered. I don't give a darn about a check mark, but I'm doing it because I feel like Elon Musk spent $34 billion to try to save free speech. I better do what I can mm-hmm. and that's you know six bucks a month or whatever. Um, but even if you don't do that, they're still going to grow the network. He can still build off of that. So get on to Twitter if you're not on there and make that your social media. I, I learned so much from it. I get most of my news probably from it. Probably. I, I think it was always a good news source because journalists Yeah, that, Yeah, that's there. what I mean. Um, By the journalists I follow. But, no. but secondly, since Musk's takeover, it's a much so better, better news source. Much better. In terms of breaking news from citizen sure. citizen groups or or you know individuals or that kind of thing, 
it's a really egalitarian platform. Yep. And they don't cen- censor people like from the Great Barrington Declaration right. and things like that. Do you do New Year's resolutions? Uh, I break a lot of them, mm-hmm. but yeah. You do them and break them. Yeah. That's how you do them. Well, okay, I have, I've delivered on quite a few over the years. Yeah. Um, the, the I'm going to lose 50 pounds this year has yeah. never quite managed. Well, you know, maybe set it to something different. Like yeah, the problem is either. one year I was like, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Uh-huh. And I lost 10 pounds yeah. in like three months, and then I gained 20. I understand. I understand. Life is a journey. And there's lots of good things to eat. And there's – yeah, we didn't do food today. We needed yeah. to do ice cream. We wanted to do ice cream. We we'll were going to do – we'll save year. it for New Year. We'll save it for the New Year. Sam Stone, Happy New Year. Seth, you too. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.